Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you all here this morning. Um, again, if you are with us because your uh, child was in VBS, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, we hope that, uh, that you feel welcome, that you know that if you have a church home that you already attend, that's awesome. And we're so glad that you would spend uh, a service with us. And if you don't have a church home, we hope that, um, that you might be able to find one here, as many of us have as well. And here at our church, at Pomerano Christian Church, we want to be people that recognize, we want to help everyone get plugged into the people and purpose of the church. Uh, we recognize that we are not perfect people. But we're people who have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in this world. And we recognize that we are called to be witnesses through our words by sharing our faith and through our actions by serving the world. And so like our church initials, these three, these terms that we use of being plugged in, changed by God, and called to be witnesses are PCC. So hopefully it's easy for us to remember, but also hopefully it's the way that we live our lives. And so if you are with us, we just want to give you a quick idea of who we are as a church. And my name is JP, and we're so thankful to be able to be with you here this morning. Now, we are right in the middle of a uh, James series. Um, we've already gone through four weeks. We have about four weeks left. And so um, if you were newer with us we, in the bulletin, if you received one, we have handouts. If you're a, a note taker, we have fill in the blanks there for you. If you're not a note taker, that's totally fine. Just don't tell me because I'll feel bad about all my hard work. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're, uh, we're just so glad that you're with us. And so uh, if you would like, on the back of those notes are the previous main points throughout our series. We like to give some context to know where we've been in order to know where we are so we can see where God is taking us this morning. So you have your main points. Uh, you'll be in James chapter three, but before we dive in, I would ask that you would join me uh, in a word of prayer. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you again for all uh, the staff and the leaders and, and volunteers who helped with VBS. God, I thank you for each of those kids who got to learn and really take to heart that no matter what's going on, that you are good. And so, God, I pray that that would be a message that, they, that resonates and sinks deep down into their lives uh, so that we could try to continue to help them build a firm foundation for life, a foundation that's built upon you, Jesus. God, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every person that is listening right now, whether they're in the room or whether they're listening online later. I pray that they know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before they even uh, started this service. And I pray that you would meet them in a special way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 3, uh, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. And as you turn there, uh, I wanted to share something that when I was in seventh grade, uh, there's two things I remember about seventh grade. One, I remember that um, I missed 60, 60 days of school that year because um, I had this really bad stomach issue. I didn't know what it was. Uh, turned out I was allergic to peanut butter. And I was one of those kids that would like eat peanut butter like spoon and just doing it. I don't do it now because I'm an adult that has germs. Uh, but uh, it's one of those where I used to eat that. I'm like, I don't know why I'm sick. So they had to do all these different tests. Eventually, I was able to uh, find out that's what it was. And then I was able to be fine. The other thing I remember, though, about being in seventh grade was that uh, it was kind of that middle school, junior high age when, when people are starting to, you know, People are mean to one another as kids, as students. And so, uh, and I'm sure it's, it's even more tame then than it is now because now there's social media bullying and all these different types of things. But I remember our teacher had to institute a, a rule for our school, for our class, that what would happen is you would say, oh, I hate you, <laughs> just kidding. And, or, oh, you're ugly, <laughs> just kidding. 
And this just kidding phrase became something that people would just say these mean things and then they would add just kidding at the end of it and the students, you know, would think, oh, I'm just being playful. It's just funny. It's all fun and games. Yet the person who was on the receiving end of that obviously is really hurt. And so my teacher had to say, there is no, you cannot say just kidding because you cannot, the, the point of that is that what you were saying in the first place, if you have to say just kidding at the end of it, is probably not the right type of thing to be saying. And so these are the kind of things I remember, this idea that it was, it was teasing one another. And it's so easy when you want to be funny. It's so natural for whatever reason to try to be funny by tearing somebody else down, right? Like there's very few comedians that are funny because they are just original and that's clean and it's uplifting and it's just observational about life and you laugh. And when you have those, you think about them. But the vast majority of comedians or movies that we see, it's all about, you know, tearing somebody else down, pointing and laughing. And, and it's something that it's not just for seventh graders to learn that the power of what we say can impact those around us. That, that just kidding is not something to kid about. That having these harsh words is not something that we want to do. In fact, um, I was looking at Peter Vajda, who's a, a PhD, and he has worked with different um, consulting businesses for coaching and counseling and facilitating different things. He has a quote, it's not on the screen, but he talks about this, that in Western culture, the biting, sarcastic, demeaning put-down has become an art form everywhere. TV, movies, talk radio, sports events, journals, and magazines, it's part of the fabric of everyday conversation. And more, many folks today see such behavior as, quote, business as usual, or as, quote, no big deal. That in our culture, because this biting, sarcastic humor, that the word sarcasm is this idea to cut, that you're cutting into somebody, you're like, ah, just kidding, Yet, when you're on the receiving end of that, you don't take it as you're just kidding. And when you're giving it, there's a lot of truth that's said in jest. You're, you might say you're kidding, but there's an underlying fact that what we say has powerful impact on us and on those around us. And so as we are talking this morning, and our, our topic is the cure for the common tongue, and looking at James 3 and talking about these different points of how we need to address what we say, the power of our words, how to address how most people talk, and then how we can be different and be able to have a cured tongue. So our main point today is that it is important to think before we say something. It's even more important to change the way we think by heeding what God has to say. It is important to think before we say something. It's even more important <coughs> excuse me, to change the way we think by heeding what God has to say. And like I said, we're going to be in James chapter 3. If you are newer with us, we have uh, Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And so we're going to be on page uh, 1882, 1882. If you brought your own Bible, if you have your Bible app, that's, that's great as well. James chapter 3, 1 through 18. And as we start, the main header and the next header on your notes, it just talks about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. So we're going to read... After you talk about the power of the tongue, the, the point underneath that is that the tongue can lead others astray. The tongue can lead others astray. Let me read verses 1 and 2 of James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. 
Now, as someone whose, whose job and, and whose calling and whose honor it is to be able to teach, James 3, chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 1 is one that I, I take very seriously. It's this idea of recognizing that not all can be teachers because the truth is that if I were to say something or, or teachers say something, that some of you will do a great job of going back and double-checking it. You'll cross-reference. You'll say, is that really what the context is saying? Is that really the right way to apply what the passage is? But many of us, myself included, there are times when you just listen, you say, oh, I mean, he's got a microphone taped to his face. He must know what he's talking about. And so there's a danger in that. There's an inherent honor that there is in being able to teach, and there is an inherent danger that comes because the truth is that not everybody will follow through to make sure that what a teacher is saying is accurate or is God-honoring or is truthful. Now, let me give an example. There's a verse that we all know pretty well, um, and it's from Hezekiah 4.12, and it says, God helps those who help themselves. We hear this all the time, and it's one of those things where we, we just, we've heard that. We're like, okay, yeah, there's, there's three things wrong with this verse. One, it's not actually a verse in the Bible. It's something that we hear all the time, and we think that that's real. Two, Hezekiah isn't even a book in the Bible. It just sounds like a minor prophet, so you could just make it up. Um, the other fake book name that you could do is called Second Hesitations. It sounds very, very good. Um, so one, this isn't in the Bible. Two, that's not a book in the Bible. And three, we hear this phrase, and the truth of the matter is, is that there are very few things that are so antithetical, so opposite to the story of the gospel. Because the gospel talks about how we know we can't help ourselves. That while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us that he sent Jesus to die. That on our own, our own righteousness is as filthy rags. That we recognize that, we who, that he who knew no sin had to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God because we cannot do this on our own. So we hear phrases that sound good or they sound affirming, but... If I were to put this up there and just put Hezekiah 4.12 and let it sit there and you guys make a note, Hezekiah 4.12, I wonder how many of us would be able to look later on and say, no, like that's not actually accurate. And as a teacher, that's a, that's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to know that I could put a verse up there and make it look like it's a verse and then not everyone will dive in. So that's why there's a wait because I recognize, and this isn't a guilt trip to you, it's recognizing the burden, a healthy burden that there is on me. And there's an example of this that I want to show you as well. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Abraham Lincoln, as many of them are. And it says this, don't believe everything you read on the internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. <laughs> Clearly, that's not what Abraham Lincoln ever said. He didn't have the internets back then. But it's this idea that we could see things online and as we could say, oh, that's true. Or, oh, I believe it. We need to be good at, as people, and me as, a, as someone who's teaching, we need to be good at checking. As 1 John 4 talks about testing the spirits, that when Paul's writing to the Galatians, he says, if you hear a gospel other than what I'm preaching, even if it's from an angel in heaven or an angel who says that they're from heaven, then know that it's not accurate. And then, so we start to see that there are other religions who have come because, oh, an angel told me this and revealed this to me, and yet it's antithetical to the gospel of Christ. And so Paul warned us about it years and years ago. But here's the point is that we can't just say, oh, someone said it. That means it must be true because I recognize the power of the tongue is that in my position, that if I say something, that it can lead you all astray. It could lead people I care about astray, my family or our church. And that's not something that we want to do. 
So the first point is that the tongue can lead others astray. That's part of the power of the tongue. Another thing the power of the tongue can do is that it determines the direction of our lives. It can determine the direction of our lives. And so I don't know if you've heard uh, the story of a pastor who found out that he, he loved horseback riding and he found out that there was um, a horse nearby that he saw an ad for it that said it was a Christian horse. And he's like, that's just intriguing enough to go check it out in and of itself. So he goes and he talks to the, the guy who owns the horse and he's like, oh, you know, I heard there's a Christian horse. Like, yeah, yeah, this is a Christian horse. You want to give it a ride? He says, of course, that sounds great. And so he gets on the horse and he says, giddy up. And he slashes the reins or he moves the reins. And the guy's like, oh, I forgot to tell you, it's a Christian horse. So he doesn't respond to giddy up. He responds, he starts going if you say, praise the Lord. He's like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Praise the Lord. And all of a sudden the horse starts to trot and he starts to move forward. And then he goes for a little bit there and they're on the little testing um, ring. And all of a sudden he's like, okay, I want to go give him for a ride. He's like, whoa, whoa. And the guy's like, I'm sorry. Guys, again, he's a Christian horse. He doesn't respond to whoa. He responds and he stops when you say, amen. He's like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a fun. So he starts going on a little trail. And all of a sudden, as he's going, he says, praise the Lord. And he starts going slowly. And then all of a sudden, though, as he goes across the trail, there's a rattlesnake that comes and the horse gets spooked. So all of a sudden, he's just shooting off and he's just going off and he sees that there's a cliff coming up ahead. And so he starts to see, he tries to say, whoa, whoa, because in his mind, he can't remember. He's like, it's a Christian horse, but I don't remember what that even means anymore. And so he's just freaking out and he doesn't know what to do. He says, dear God, please help this horse to stop. I don't know what to do. In Jesus' name, amen. And right at the end, he stops. He says, amen. He's like, oh, praise the Lord. And he just goes right over the edge. So... This idea of how powerful it determines the direction of our lives. And in fact, verse 3 talks about a horse specifically when it talks about the power of the tongue. It says this, when we put, the bits, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large they are steered, or sorry, and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Whew! That is a lot. And it's this idea of recognizing that like a bit inside of a horse, like a rudder that's pushing a ship or moving a ship, the tongue, what we say, can determine our lives. Think about it. When you are around people who always talk about something negative, take a look at their life. Is their life positive? No, it's what's coming out is the overflow of this negativity. If you're around people who, even when things are tough, can find something positive, can encourage one another, can uplift one another, can be building up people, then you start to say, okay, no, they have a positive wake. That what we say has already been processed through our heart. So out of the overflow of the heart comes the words of the mouth. And so the, our tongue determines our direction. It determines whether we are going to be able to be someone who's surrounded by fire because we just start saying things without thinking of consequence. We start tearing people down. We just want to be right when it comes to an argument rather than to understand or be understood. And so we'll say the thing that we know will cause us to win, but in reality, we end up losing much more than a petty argument. We might lose relationship. We might lose quality of life. 
So we see this idea that the tongue can be a fire because one small word, one poor phrase, one harsh thought expressed harshly can ravage a life, can ravage relationships, and can create such discord that it can feel like your life is on fire all because you had a spark and you couldn't hold our tongue. That's the power of the tongue. Now let me go and continue on verses 7 and 8. And the next section talks about not just the power of the tongue, but the symptoms of the common tongue. And by common tongue, I don't mean like the fact that English and French are the, are the languages across the world that are like the universal languages when you go to things. I'm talking about common tongue in the sense of when someone hasn't been changed by the grace of God, when the Holy Spirit hasn't come in and changed the way we think and the way we are and the way that we speak, how do common people without Christ, how do we typically use our tongue? And so the first point there is that the common tongue cannot be tamed. It cannot be tamed. Verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Again, we kind of hit on this example earlier, but just take a moment, put down your pencil or, or pen. Or Have you ever been in an argument with someone? And it didn't matter whether you were right or wrong, because in that moment, you didn't care about understanding or finding a common ground or having a peace between you. You just knew that if I say this one thing that I've been holding onto my, in my back pocket for three years so that I could just drop the hammer at some point, and you say that word, or you express that sentiment, and it's no longer about the argument being won or lost, it's about the relationship being won or lost. Or maybe, maybe it's not even that intentional. Maybe it's just something where, again, you think you're being funny. And, and I remember one of the things that I, I was so, um, uh, I, I just remember being so saddened by was when I was uh, probably 10 or 11, maybe, uh, my mom and dad had recently got divorced. And so I remember I was staying at my mom's house and my dad's house every other uh, day. So I was at my mom's house one night and my mom came home and she had a, a new haircut. She got a perm. And I remember like I was thinking in my mind that I was being funny. But in reality, the words I was saying were so not loving. And it, I mean, it literally brought her to tears. And I know like now being a dad, like when your kid says something to you, even if they think they're being funny, like, I hate you, dad. They don't say that, but I'm just saying example. But that, that still hurts, right? So even though I didn't intentionally, like I said mean things to my mom and I felt horrible about it afterwards. Once I saw that she was crying, I couldn't go and say, just kidding. Because the words were already there. And you can't even tame your tongue sometimes, either intentionally and you're trying to tear someone down, or unintentionally when we try to be funny, we try to be witty, we try to look popular, whatever it may be, we can unintentionally or intentionally hurt with our words. And if we do that, we recognize that the tongue cannot be tamed unless we have a right relationship with God. In fact, in Proverbs first, uh, chapter 12, 18 says it this way, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That when we are reckless with our words and flippant with our words, and we don't care what we say, or we just don't even care how it's responded to, it's not this soft, like, oh, I'm just kidding. 
it pierces like a sword and creates a wound that may not be seen physically, but it's surely felt emotionally. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise can bring healing. When we recognize the wisdom that we can live with and have our tongues be cured, then we can bring healing to one another. The next part of your notes as we look at verses 9 through 12 says, not only does the common tongue cannot be tamed, the common tongue can reveal how much we don't understand about praising God. How much we don't understand about it. We think we're praising God, but let's read what verses 9 through 12 talk to us about the power of our tongue and the duplicity with which we speak. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This idea that if, if with our mouths on a Sunday morning we are praising God and lifting up our voices and lifting up our hands and standing in, in song, and then Monday through Saturday we are destroying people with our words, we are finding those intentional ways to tear someone down, that, that we are thinking someone is less than loved by God because of how they look or where they work or their status in life or any other reason we think that we could tear them down. It's like saying, if someone were to come up to me or come up to any one of you and say, I, I, I love you and, and I, you, and your, you and your spouse are so great. I hate your kids though. No, no, you hate my kids. No, but I love, I love, you're great. Your kids are a pill, right? Like if you do that, does the person receiving that, I'm like, well, at least they love me. That's nice. Or do they say, no, no, you're, you're cursing my kids right now. You clearly don't understand because if you really don't like the kids that much, that means you're, it's a reflection of me as a parent, which means that you don't like me. So don't try to be duplicitous. We cannot be people who lift up God with our words and then tear down people with those same words or with our same tongue. That if we truly understood the power of praising God, we recognize that as Thomas D. Lee says, we are sinfully inconsistent when we bless God and then curse those made in God's likeness. When we curse those whom God has made, we are effectively cursing God. He's the object of both expressions. Such a double standard is outrageous. And he quotes uh, verse um, 10 here when he says, my brethren, this should not be. And so how are your words different when you walk into a church building or walk into a small group. You know, there's kind of that joke that people have when it's like, they might say something, it doesn't have to be this, but they might say something like, oh, I can't lie, I'm in church. And I'm like, Holy Spirit's always residing in you, so you can't really lie ever, right? Like it's one of those where it's not about the building that makes it okay or not okay. We don't separate secular and sacred. We don't separate how we are at church and being different than how we are elsewhere. So this idea of what does it look like, we've seen the power of the tongue. It can lead others astray. It can determine the direction of our lives. We've seen that the symptoms of the common tongue is that it can't be tamed. We can't hold back. We want to get the last word and we want to be right. We don't care how it affects people. And then we recognize that we need to see, or sorry, we recognize that by, we need to recognize that praising God means that we can't curse people. No matter how different they are than us, God formed them and shaped them and created them. 
that we've never locked eyes on someone who God didn't create, God the Father didn't create, God the Son didn't die for, and God the Holy Spirit doesn't want to draw near to the Father. So we can't curse people while praising God. Because if we do, it reveals how much we don't understand what it means to praise God. Lastly, in the last few moments we have together, we've talked about the power of the tongue, the symptoms of the common tongue, and now the cure for the common tongue. What does it look like? Because we're not called to live a common life as people who love Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus yet, we are so glad that you're with us. And so we just want to encourage you that we recognize that sometimes as Christians, what we can do is we can say we want to be different and then we can live the same as everyone else. And what Brennan Manning, a late author, used to say is that the single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then go out and deny him by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This idea that we know that we recognize we are not perfect people. And so if you don't know the Lord yet, recognize we're not perfect people, but we are people who have been changed by God and are trying to keep being changed by God to make a change in this world. And so with that said, we're not called to live a common life, so nor should we speak with a common tongue. What's the opposite of that? What's a cured tongue look like? Because to change your notes, to change the direction of our lives, we must have a cured tongue. And to cure our tongue... We must ask God to change our hearts. Again, what we speak, what we say and how we say it, so clearly reveals our heart. It reveals that which has shaped us because if there's something inside of us that, we sh that we've thought and then it makes it to our brain, and then it makes it to our vocal cords, and then we say it out loud, it's had to go through a couple filters. Some of our filters are stronger than other people's, I understand that. But in order to change the direction of our lives, if a cured tongue changes our lives, in order to get a cured tongue, we must ask God to change our hearts. Verses 13 through 16 say it this way. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So when we talk about here, Luke 6 hits on this idea as well. When Jesus talks about how a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is like a, something that, it's not just a fire, it's also the thermometer to take a temperature of our, the fire within our hearts. It can show whether we are, have been changed or whether we're letting the world and the sarcastic, biting humor of the Western culture dictate how we speak. But how will we help people who don't know God know the love of God if all they hear about from people who love God are harsh words, bitter sentiments, and no love with the words we speak. 
How is that being seasoned with salt as our speech is called to be? How is that us being salt and light to the world? How is that allowing our words to be the first thing that people might actually get to hear about us or hear from us? And what does it look like if we miss that opportunity by trying to be common rather than asking God to cure our tongues and cure our hearts? That if we have selfish ambition, if we have envy, to ask God to remove that from us so that in our hearts, the darkness and the evil would be removed so that the overflow of our mouth would be the love of God and the love of Christ within us. That we would set our minds not on things below, but on things above. We'd fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith that we'd be able to recognize that out of the love that Jesus has instilled in our lives, that that is the same love with which we speak about and to those who know God and those who are far from him so that hopefully they too can be in right relationship with him. The last note here in your, in your notes there is this. The common tongue is a troublemaker. The cured tongue is a peacemaker. I got a little ambitious and read verses 17 and 18 before I was supposed to, so if you'll just go with me again. Uh, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is full of, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That Jesus and his Beatitudes don't say, blessed are the ones that win the arguments because you did it. Right? Like he doesn't say, blessed are the ones that are always right because you get the gold star. And that's what matters in life. To blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that see enmity, see division, and recognize, and don't just try to keep the peace. Okay, everybody, just be okay with everybody else. You don't say anything that's going to offend anyone. You don't say anything that's going to offend anyone. And if we could just kind of be keeping peace, then everything will be fine. When in reality, that's a false peace that does not build a bridge to a real relationship. That instead of false peace of just keeping and say, okay, you do this and, and you do this. And I don't know why I'm looking at Marge, the water buffalo and Hooper, the hoopo bird, but I'm just saying if they were arguing right now, anyways, but this idea instead of finding where there's enmity, going into the divide and making peace, making a way where there is no way. Because if there is a picture of what Jesus did for us, is he saw that there was separation between God and his people. And he didn't just say, okay, everyone, just be fine as it is and just keep the peace. He found, went into the chasm, found a way, and made a way where there was no way so that we could have a right relationship with God. We are called to be peacemakers, not to stir up trouble, not to stir up dissension, not to tear people down, but to build one another up. Ephesians 4.29 talks about this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building, helpful for others, sorry, helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So building others up is the same idea of edifying, right? Like the edifice, a building. It's this idea of what is it that's gonna help building up one another. And if you can say something to someone that it might be true, you might have a true thing to say, but you could say a true thing with a harsh tone and have it fall on deaf ears. Or you could say a true thing, speaking the truth in love, and actually see how God can change someone, have their hearts be changed so that their lives can be changed. So as we close this morning, just doing a, a quick thermometer, a quick barometer of where we are with our words. If we were to think about the words that we've said, the conversations we've had over the past week, are they filled with troublemaking? Are they filled with saying the thing that we wanted to say because we wanted to be right and yet trying to then navigate the 
consequences and the devastation of the relationships? Have we found ourselves being able to lift one another up, to encourage one another, to be able to speak highly of one another, to, to not curse someone different than us, but to, to recognize that we want to love people no matter how different they may be because we are all made in the image of the same God. So how have our words been this past week? And even more so than the inventory of looking the past week, it's wondering today when we leave, maybe for some of you when you pick up your kids and they start talking crazy or they start getting loud or whatever, some of you when you go and you have lunch with family members or friends and you just want to say something to be right, <clears throat> how will we be different to not fall into the common tongue that can't be tamed, tears others down, but to show the cured tongue, the tongue in which God has taken out the inside of, of the darkness and recognize that he's removing that so that we could be more like him, so we could be peace-loving and amicable and friendly and pouring our love that God has put into us out to one another and changing lives because it's kindness, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So may we be kind to one another and kind to those who are far from God so they too can draw near to God and they too can have a changed life. Because we're not perfect, but we've been changed by God so that we can make a change in the world, not for our own good, but for the good of others. Let's pray. Father, we recognize and we thank you for the fact that we know we've been told that it's important to think before we say something. But Lord, it's even more important for us to change the way we think by heeding what you have to say. So God, in those moments where we feel like we just want to be right, God, may we recognize that there are times in which being right and just winning an argument isn't as important as understanding where the other person's coming from. Because maybe, just maybe, we're not, we're trying to win a battle that isn't actually the conversation we're having. God, I pray that we would be able to be people who are so seasoned with salt with our words, that we are so lifting up and noticeable that, of the love that you have for us. Because when other people try to tear down for humor, we find ways to lift one another up. When other people try to embarrass people, we try to edify people. That when other people try to just bite and cut and be sarcastic, Lord, may we be people who are pointing people to the love that you have for them. And that as in Acts 2, when people were cut to the heart, instead of the sarcastic humor, may we be cut to the heart of recognizing the times in which we've let our tongue lead others astray, and determine a direction for our lives that we don't want, God. Renew our hearts. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, I pray that you would flood this place so that we can feel your presence. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So may we be free from the common tongue and free to embrace a cured tongue that lifts others up. May you change us from the inside out so that we may see you change the world through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.